0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 231, Hope is its own form of cruelty. This week, we're discussing season four, episode 18 of Angel, Shiny Happy People, and series 10, episode four of Doctor Who. Knock, knock.
1: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. all right, starting with shiny happy people um everywhere such a, such a lovely title um wanted to kind of start with i we're gonna we're gonna call her Jasmine because you mm-hmm. know we'll kind of finish with the naming. Um, and she goes most of the episode without a name, but just for the sake of conversation, we'll use Jasmine's name to refer to uh, whoever this you know, character is that Gina Torres is playing. Um, and mm-hmm. she is kind of the centerpiece of the episode, clearly. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like even more so than usual, Like pretty much the whole episode sort of revolves around you know not only this one plot but also like this one character which you know uh, it's not unprecedented but it's i think makes sense once you see the episode that like everything in the universe starts to revolve around her so it sort of makes sense that the whole episode is sort of devoted to the effect that this character has on everything around her and exploring that idea. Like there's really no, uh, it wouldn't be appropriate to sort of be breaking off to other like, you know, character subplots or anything. Um, She kind of shows up and literally sort of takes over um, Mm -hmm. the entire world, which seems to be her MO. Um, Sure. So we kind of talked last time about angel stopping in his tracks and being kind of you know prevented from killing her by just sort of the blinding beauty of who she is and everything um Mm -hmm. and that being a kind of it, it turns out that the you know what cordy said about how when they see our baby they'll feel differently and you know they'll understand the purpose and, you know, be on our side that actually turns out to literally be true. Um, and like immediately it kind of, you know, you kind of realize it's not just that angels, you know, paused in his, you know, murder of a beautiful woman, but like, she literally has some sort of spell or enchantment over everybody. Um, who not only, I mean, maybe we can kind of go through the effects of this to see if I'm forgetting anything. Um, they all find her beautiful. Um, they all not just, you know, find her kind of captivating or attractive, but actually actively worship her. Um, like stop and, you know, get down on their knees and sort of, you know, look up at her as this sort of goddess figure. Mm -hmm. Um, they all kind of have revised memories of what's been happening. They don't necessarily forget what's been going on, but they kind of, you know, history is revised as to the significance of what's been going on. And they kind of see what they've been doing as this evil quest that they, you know, this misunderstanding that they didn't realize what it is they were trying to kill all along. Um, so it kind of, it doesn't erase their memories, but it affects their memories.
0: Yeah, at one point they even described it as like, everything that's happened in recent weeks has just been like birth pains, right? Like, right. like oh yeah, fire falling from the sky. It was just one of the birth pains of like, you know, birthing a heavenly creature kind right. of thing. Like It's not like actual evil. It's, it was just this like, yeah, like the contractions that would occur
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and and you know i think there's as often with these sort of villains and big bads it's finding the you know the extracting the lie that from the truth that it's kind of smuggled in with um you know there's something convincing about the idea of the idea of birth pains or contractions that like You know, I think most people kind of would agree that even good and beautiful parts of life have painful aspects to them. And so there's something kind of, you know, truthful about the idea that maybe something this divine in coming down to earth would not do it without some sort of difficulty, Um, you know. And, and so it kind of makes sense in a weird way. Um, although, you know, then, yeah, like certainly for the audience, when you're thinking about it, it, it's not, it's kind of hard to see like murder in the streets and raining hellfire as, you know, just sort of growing pains or that kind of, you know, the natural difficulty of something like that. Mm -hmm. So kind of moving on from the effect that Jasmine has on the others. Um, kind of wanted to talk for a minute about who she is as a person, sort of how they've characterized her. Um, Cause it's kind of interesting how non sort of, well, I guess part of the enchantment and, and seeming like the, you know, the big good, I guess, rather than the big bad is how much the kind of shiny happy people thing applies to her I guess as well as everybody else like she seems to kind of brainwash everybody but also she like she plays the part of everything is beautiful and lovely and pure and um, everything is awesome everything is awesome exactly um and you know over and over again we get these kind of flowery and idyllic sounding sort of you know platitudes and statements about how there's no you know there's no fear there's no room for doubt there's no room for hate Um, and again the kind of seduction of that for characters who I mean for anybody really but especially for our characters who are kind of constantly going through the ringer and, you know, kind of getting put into these situations where the absence of doubt and fear just sounds like the greatest thing that they can possibly think of. Um, and yeah. Um, I mean, I have some kind of, we have sort of you know, wanted to talk about her sort of backstory that she presents and then sort of her mission going forward. But, um, I don't know if there's anything else about like the way she presents herself. It's it's hard because it's hard for me to talk about because I don't know who she is. Um, and sure. so, so
0: this um, is one of my questions to you is, yeah. And like we like, you don't have to answer right now or like it can be like the next 40 minutes can be the answer or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't know that there's a simple or whatever, but yeah, my question to you is like, do you have a sense of, is she actually good? Is she bad? Is this like someone who's like, is this like a, I don't think they're portraying it in sort of, Judeo Christian terms, but is this sort of like an Antichrist figure where it's like, you know, they're presenting world peace as an option and like, but it's maybe there's something more nefarious underneath. Mm. Um, when we get to Fred, are the things that Fred sees and and not just Fred, but Stoller, like, are the things that they see mm. the real thing, or are they or is there something going on? Like, especially given, you know, Fred's history of mental illness, which she's concerned about Stoller having to, you know, mm-hmm. like is, is it her going crazy and all everyone else is right? Like what, you know, what are the, I mean, I feel like we're led in particular directions, but I also know where this is going.
2: Yeah.
0: So like, I'm right. curious well, from I, a, yeah. from a first view, like those are sort of the questions that I, I would want to ask. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think we,
1: we definitely are led. I guess the question is whether it's misdirection. Are we being led in a particular way to kind of misguide the audience as to where it's going? Um, so I think, you know, the natural impulse and I think what the writers sort of are leading you to believe is, is to be on Fred's side. Um, you know, from what we see, what she's presented with is, you know, certainly true from her point of view. And and I mean, I think true from the sense that we have objective knowledge that the characters don't. We saw the kind of murderous things that the Beastmaster was sort of orchestrating um, leading up to this birth. And then you know, it's only this kind of enchantment that make the characters not be able to see that for or remember that for what it is. Um, so I don't have any reason to th- suspect that this is the true... Like, I think the kind of wormy, rotting face of you know, Jasmine is, is shown to be the true one. Um, but you know, it could certainly be that they are leading you in a particular way in order to sort of set you up for something later. Um sure. I, I mean, so let's kind of get on to her backstory and her mission, um, because I guess the motivation, I guess, is the big sort of question mark of if she is a bad guy, Mm-hmm. then um what do we make of this sort of like quest to rid the world of evil um and i guess this is this is the biggest sort of reason why you might think well maybe she is on you know the side of good after all is is in terms of just looking at her actions um of what she has them do so um so she kind of has them gather around for this sort of story circle, right? They all sort of sit around her as she, you know, tells the tale of, you know, the history of the world um, and gives this little origin myth of, you know, gods essentially, I guess is kind of what she's getting at, is that there were, you know, these great powerful beings that, you know, predate, Humankind and the world and good and evil and everything um, and uh, the way she presents it is they kind of abandoned the world um, you know to the demon realm. Now, what's interesting here is she says, uh, all right, the earth became a demon realm. Those of us who had the will to resist, the will to resist left this place but we remained ever watchful. But then something new emerged from deep inside the earth, neither demon nor God, which is interesting. So she doesn't really explain the origin of humankind. Sort of like they just appear from the earth with no, if they have a creator, she doesn't say who it is. It almost sounds like they just sort of emerge naturally. Um, and then she kind of says that, you know, they, the gods, failed in that they haven't been intervening. They haven't been helping. They've sort of let been letting Earth and, you know, I guess, the whole universe become overrun with demons and sort of abandoned mankind to this sort of hopeless, endless fight. And so she's decided to... Arrange a miracle so that she can come down and get involved and sort of intervene. Um, which is kind of Angel's complaint in the previous episode about, like, I don't know whether she's saying she's one of the powers that be, but like, it seems kind of like that, like she's some sort of, you know, higher being of some sort. And he's kind of, you know, saying in the previous episode, complaining about how aloof they are and how they never help. And, you know, they kind of say they want a champion and they say they're on the side of good, but, like, what good have they ever really done for Angel, their their chosen champion? Um, And I guess one thing to her credit is if this story is true, which it might not be, um, she's doing that, she's entering the world to give him the kind of help that he's looking for. Um.
0: Sure. Um, Yeah. So I guess one thing, if Jasmine's good, then I guess, like, we can take what she's saying at face value, right? If she's not, then, like, what of this do we believe? Like, is this a uh, lying through the truth? sort of, Like, is this, like, sort of the ha- a half-truth <clears throat> lie? Or is this, like, uh, you know, something where, you know, we we just look at it's just, like, totally made-up, like, mythology and whatever, like... Right. Can we even determine that? Like, I don't know. um Just trying to think.
1: I mean, it's hard to determine that at this point. I mean, I guess she follows through in that she then goes on to sort of lead Angel and his team in this sort of crusade against, you know, the demons of L.A. Um, And within, what, like a couple weeks or a month or something, they have the city sort of largely under control. Um, You know, like the news broadcast reports like a drop in, you know, violent crime or whatever. Um, So at least on the, uh, like on a very surface level, it seems that whatever her motivation, she is sort of working to rid the world of demons. Um, And that somehow, I don't know if it's just the kind of devotion that she inspires, but she seems to kind of make them like more effective at it. Um, Like they kind of, like we see a couple scenes of them, like they go to a bowling alley or they go to this place or that place and then like take on a whole big, crew of vampires and you know get rid of Mm -hmm. them all and like the implication is that they're just doing this all across the city going to all of these sort of nests and dens and everything um and kind of coming out of it victorious and unscathed and kind of not completely unchallenged but like they're actually like able to do this a lot more effectively than they ever were before um so I'm not quite sure like is that something that she is doing to give them sort of enhanced either fighting ability or team building skills or um or is it just that this the the conviction of
2: right
1: of zeal that they feel for her? is sort of fueling the passion that they have to go out and be the best warriors that they can be.
0: Right. Is she actually, like, giving them some sort of power and capability that they don't otherwise have? Or is this, like, a Dumbo's Feather situation, right? Like, where they just, by believing in her, you know, find it within themselves to accomplish what, you know, she, she sees them or, you know, asks them to accomplish. Yeah. Right right. Good, and, good
1: and and that's would be my guess if I had to say like it seems that you know the the pure sort of motivation of wanting to please her seems to be the main kind of thing. Like like when Angel like you know the way he kind of says like so disbelieving you believe in me like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know, the way that they kind of present that as the very fact of her approval is an enchantment on its own, you know, um, and it's not necessarily that she's lending them superpowers. It's just um, basking in sort of her glow is giving them this sort of renewed vigor and everything.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: So I guess my question is, if if she's not, if it's a lie, which I think it is, about being sort of one of the good guys, um, then what are the other reasons she might want to be eradicating the world of vampires? Um, like, what is her motivation if it's not to actually bring world peace? Um yeah. One one thought that just occurred to me like now is if she just wants to be worshipped, then maybe getting the demons out of the way allows that to happen a lot easier. Like, like, alright, first I'll use these, you know, this small crew to sort of get rid of all these pesky demons and, <clears throat> and vampires. Um, and then I'll have an entire world to sort of sit at my feet and worship me without any you know distractions basically
0: yeah um so a couple things first of all um we haven't talked about this in a while but way back in like season maybe or three maybe three a buffy um because i think it's it's tied into the whole um, (laughs) mayor plot we get the concept of the old ones right Mm. the the this is what the mayor was ascending into like one of the original demons like a real demon not um as as anya sort of explains it not like like vampires and the demons that are on Earth are sort of like watered down half-breed demons, mm. right? Like and so um I forget the name of the demon that the, the mayor is, is supposed to ascend into, but like like this is like an actual like old one demon from before mankind.
2: Mm.
0: So what you're getting here if we want to put it sort of in mythological terms, right? You could almost look at it from a Narnia perspective of this is like, like the old ones are like the magic at the dawn of time. Right. And then like Jasmine is like the magic from before the dawn of time. Right. Like the old, the deeper magic from before the dawn of time. Like there's, there's this idea that like, Oh, the old ones existed. And that's as far back as we can sort of know, like, from humans because like maybe they were sort of around when humans were starting to emerge but now jasmine is sort of claiming to be one step further back from that hmm. um and again like if we believe her like you know there's right. a sort of credit you know credibility factor there um if you believe her or don't believe her um that doesn't necessarily like so is that does that mean that's what the higher powers are in general as well? Is Jasmine a higher power in that same sense? Like, is she the one who's been, you know, manipulating, like, all of this stuff? Like, there's there's the discussion of going back basically to the beginning of, like, season three with the trial and um, basically earning a new life for Darla, you know, that that Angel does um Mm -hmm. in that trial and that kind of thing so like all of these like event now you know that's retconning for sure like i don't think the writers back at the beginning of season three were looking to the end of potential season four and thinking like we're setting things up for you know jasmine to come along um so this is definitely a, a sort of retcon thing and we can you know talk about that aspect of it too but just from like like her claims, like if if we're taking them sort of at face value, um, yeah, like like what does that imply? Does that imply that like the higher powers are sort of all along maybe less good? You know, maybe Angel's right. Like maybe they are sort of the powers that screw you, or or was it was it Angel who said that? So so whoever said it, like maybe Gunn or whoever said, you know, like these are not necessarily as, like, uh, unequivocally good powers as, like, we thought they were. Or maybe there never were, like, good powers. Maybe it was sort of Jasmine all along and she's, like, pulling strings. Or maybe Jasmine is good. And maybe she's... Maybe, like, other times where we've seen good characters do bad things, like, maybe there's, you know an ends justifying the means aspect to it or a uh, well-intentioned but not, you know, well-executed, you know, um, you know, sort of plan in place. I mean, I think those are all sort of possibilities we could look at.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but just wanted to throw in there that, like, this idea of, like, the old ones, these sort of demons, like, pure demons that existed before, um uh, you know human sort of came around um already sort of existed in the buffyverse and this is just like kind of taking that one step further back mm-hmm. and i guess it's up to us to sort of decide do we take what jasmine's saying uh at her word or you know is there is there something more nefarious kind of going on here mm-hmm. um so yeah. and actually like so I, the, the concept of the old ones actually does go back right to the very first season. Um, I just looked up in the harvest um, where, uh, or uh, yeah, that's first season, right? The harvest um, mm-hmm. where uh, no, I'm sorry. It's, it's, yeah, it's the second episode of the first season where child says to Buffy. Um, uh, "Frontal un- told e- eons demons walk the earth. They made it their home. Their hell, but in time they lost their purchase on this reality. The way it was made for mortal animals, for man. All that remains of the old ones are vestiges, certain magic, certain creatures. So, um, just kind of throwing that out there—that like we've kind of had this idea of of the old ones from sort of the beginning of the Buffy mythology, and now we're kind of extending that further back with with Jasmine and her mm-hmm. um, sort of explanations there
2: hmm
1: Yeah. Well, I want to get a little bit more into that as it relates to John Stoller and uh Fred. Um, but before we do that, um I want to quickly uh kind of go through and see what um what in all this sort of is interesting from Angel's point of view. Um because I think this discussion of having a purpose and being a champion and being sort of guided by, you know, the higher beings or the powers that be or whatever, um, can't help but have big implications for him.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and there's a few interesting lines in here. Um,
0: Sorry, just to interrupt real quick before we get into angel though. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention, um, like you sort of had the question of like, what, what is the reason why if Jasmine is evil, you know, would she be getting rid of these other demons and vampires and whatever? Yeah. And I guess the question there becomes like, is she getting rid of evil or is she getting rid of like competition? Sure. (laughs) Like, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess it could still be evil right? it's evil competition, but like, like there's the yeah there's that that idea of like okay, she might it might be like she's good and she's trying to rid the world of evil, or it might be she's bad, and she doesn't want anyone else like encroaching on her territory this is this like a you know gang war like clearing the turf kind of
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know yeah thing going like- on,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's that's definitely a possibility, um, and I think. I think this kind of relates to Angel and that there are like whatever she is and her motivation, she has to sort of find a way to handle the Angel situation, um, who's been kind of singled out as this sort of champion for the powers that be. And, you know, how does she feel about that? Does she incorporate that into her sort of mission statement is sort of the question. Um, and I feel like she kind of spins it a little bit both ways. I feel like to Angel himself, the implication is the fulfillment of his sort of destiny as champion that like, you know, she says, we're going to change the world. And he says, finally, like, this is what I've been waiting for this entire series. Like finally, like some real actual change for the better. This is what I was hoping for. And she sort of, promises him that Um, Mm. so that's kind of a fulfillment for his sort of whole reason of being here um but i kind of noticed that when she talks to connor she downplays the angel element of it she says that um uh when she says that you know she chose connor to be her father and he says but but my father, he's the champion. And she says, everything has its season. It's your time come, your destiny. So it's like, well, wait a minute. Now that makes it sound like Angel is less an integral part of this whole mission to begin with. Like, you know, is she kind of telling each and every person, you're my special chosen hero? Um, you know, whatever, you know, the, this, this grand destiny that we have, you, like you, my beloved are at the center of it. Um, not that other guy. Um, so it's things like that, that, that kind of, I think in a more subtle way, kind of tip the scales towards like Nash is evil, you know, <laughs> like beyond the, beyond the rotting wormy face mask. Like, it's those, it's the little deceits and inconsistencies, I think, that, you know, kind of seal the deal even a little bit more. Um, And we also wanted to bring up the issue of, you know, of that fulfillment and that happiness for Angel, Um, you know, with his sort of fear of what'll happen if he gets a little too happy if he's, you know, finds himself fulfilled and content a little bit more than he knows how to handle. Um and that should be a concern, but she kind of explains it away, right? Um mm. I'm trying to find the line in my notes. Um Right, none of it will matter. Evil will be banished by the deeds we do, even the evil inside of you. Um, what does that mean? She doesn't say. Um, and Angel kind of doesn't really press the question. He, like like everybody else in this episode, just takes it on faith that if she says it, it'll come true. Um, so the the evil that she's eradicating is internal as well as sort of, external or at least that's what she's telling them um yeah i don't know anything else sort of angel related that we need to
0: yeah i mean i think to me sort of the biggest piece is the happiness thing of there's sort of this uh anxiety right it's like um and i i like i think this is like a real like psychological phenomenon right of like people when they're happy like become anxious about their own happiness right like mm-hmm. like there's this idea that like i shouldn't be happy or i shouldn't be allowed to be happy um and i feel like that's the sort of thing he's struggling with and so we can watch and see how that plays out but like does that have an effect on Jasmine's overall enchantment. Like, he's he still seems to be enchanted and feeling the happiness, right? But like there's also a certain extent to which by feeling that happiness he's made unhappy. So is there you know, is this a potential loophole, like, in Jasmine's plan? Even though she sort of says she's she understands how he's feeling and uh you know Says that like everything will be fine, you know, mm-hmm. uh, none of that will matter. Evil will be vanished, you know, even the evil inside of you is what she tells him. Um, so, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: and I haven't really been thinking about the fact that the sort of the Beastmaster wanted Angelus sort of around as part of its plan to begin with. Um, is trying to get angel to put his guard down so that angelus comes back again part of her plan um, or or not I don't know um so
0: yeah. I mean, which is interesting if she is if she is evil and like clearing the turf of other evil things, then. Why it, would Angelus be desirable to have around?
1: Right. And if it's a matter of bringing Angelus back just to get rid of him, well, then why doesn't she just, like, you know, have Angel whacked? Like, why does, why does it have to be Angelus if she's trying yeah, to like, sort of...
0: like dusting to, him yeah, as right. Angel is as effective as dusting him as Angel?
1: Right. So if it's just a matter of him being competition, like you said, well, you know, that doesn't really make sense to try to bring him back. So is there something about having him around that she wants?
2: Okay.
1: Um, uh, yeah. Um, I do want to talk about John Solar and Fred, and, because I think this is another place where you can see her, like, villainy come through as you know being less sort of um high-minded as she's sort of pretending to be um so i guess her blood seems to have some sort of effect am i kind of reading that correctly that um you know
0: it's guy, not stated explicitly, but that's sort of implied, that's I think.
1: By, I called her Lady McFred in my notes. Um,
0: right, I mean, that seems to be the mechanism, right?
1: Right, which it doesn't happen right away for her. Whereas, like, for John Stoller, Crashdown, by the way, um,
0: it, <laughs> right. it happens to We got live, our BSG connection.
1: Yes, our first BSG crossover. Um it happens kind of instantaneously for him.
0: Um, Well, I would just caution to say that, like, he sees Jasmine. mm
2: -hmm.
0: Like, right after sort of being exposed, I guess, right? Like, if this is like a, you know.
1: That's true. I guess I, I, the montage with Fred is a little unclear of, like, They're out fighting and Fred's in there scrubbing. I kind of took that to be an extended period of time and which I would imagine that Fred would be interacting with her. So, but maybe that just was a little unclear.
0: I, I, I've always taken that as like, like Jasmine and the others kind of go off and Fred like takes the dirty laundry down to the basement. Like without like, at whatever point she touches, like we don't, we don't know exactly like which point she touches the blood or like, like contact. my assumption would be that like it gets mixed with the water and the water's on her hands. And then like, that's, that's the sort of, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so it's not until she's actually washing the clothes and like down in the basement. And then like, she doesn't see Jasmine again until she goes up to Jasmine's room.
2: Okay.
0: Like that's, the way I've always read that. Like that gotcha. there's like she's kind of down there for like hours or like days. I don't there's it's the actual time frame is sort of unclear there. Right.
2: Um the well, other thing is that like, like she
0: goes out and buys another shirt. Sure, so like sure. Fred's presumably away from the hotel for a period of time too mm-hmm. and not seeing Jasmine there either. Right. Um so I like I just have always taken that like from whatever time Fred collects the shirt, which we don't actually see that part of it, so like you don't know. Presumably like Jasmine has already changed and like exited, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. From whatever time that happens to like the next when Fred actually goes up to the room with like the new shirt, I don't think that I think we're meant to believe that like Fred hasn't seen her gotcha. in the interim. So okay. that would that that's sort of my explanation. Without, like, a direct explanation from the episode, like, that's sort of my own personal take on, you know, it probably is immediate, but, like, Jasmine just isn't around, you know, from whatever time, from whatever moment Fred actually has contact with her blood, Jasmine's just not around to, like, actually reveal, like, her true nature.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. Um, The timing kind of confused me a little bit, but that does make sense. Um, And and I think you could still have a sense of Fred's, like, obsessive cleaning is kind of Mm -hmm. shown as quite manic. And, you know, so like, Mm -hmm. I think you could definitely read it as she's down there way longer than she should be. Um, like that, you know, she's taking this, um, obsession to an unhealthy level. Um, I mean, and that's not just from, you know, the, the cleaning of it, but her kind of like emotional, you know, the way that she kind of panics when she thinks that maybe she can't get it out and the idea of disappointing you know, Jasmine and not being able to sort of present her with something pure and perfect, um is kind of shown to be quite crazed. Um yep. and there's um
0: not unlike just, when she was like hiding out in her room and writing on the walls, right? Sure, like I mean sure. there's just going back to sort of the early days of her return from Pylea. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
1: Right. Right. But there is that line earlier from from Connor about um that jumped out to me about um like wait till you meet her you'll go nuts. Um and it's like Fred's the sure. only one that we see sort of going a little nuts, but she's also the only one who in her own mind fails like to live up to. So maybe it's something about Well, like,
0: Angel does though too. Angel well, that's believes true. he failed.
1: That's true. No, that's true. You're right. I guess nobody else, certainly nobody else takes it the way that Fred does. Yeah. Um,
0: no, but but I think you see them all kind of acting weird in certain ways. So like, like, Fred has sort of like the student who wants to please the teacher kind of vibe, right? Mm-hmm. And like does like the over bearing extra credit kind of like I can do all these things you know
2: mm-hmm. to
0: like get back in her good graces without necessarily needing to
2: yeah
0: um Angel goes off and broods just like he does usually but like him and Connor are like buddy buddy right. pa- happy father son with a great relationship like that's their like version of this sort of weird manic Mm-hmm. not quite right. And like it's interesting cuz like everyone else picks up on that before they see Jasmine mm-hmm. and even Wesley like everything Wesley says is presumably 100% correct about it being an enchantment and you can't trust it and right. You know, um oh, what what is it? I I, don't, I had it like written down here. Um yeah, you know, it's a spell, even before its birth, the thing that controlled Cordelia caused her to do unspeakable things, it's evil, remember the rain of fire, permanent midnight, all the horrors done in its name, Um, which is ironic, because there is no name, but we'll talk about that Mm -hmm. later. Um, And then, like, Jasmine sort of, like, interrupts, and and is like, oh, yes, those all need to be, like, we need to have restitution, or whatever, for Mm -hmm. all of that stuff, and um immediately Wesley falls under the same sort of spell, yeah. and so then you have like <laughs> one of my one of my favorite moments is of course, like him and Gunn sitting there like cleaning their weapons, and like oh Fred, she's so you know dedicated when she really wants to do stuff, and like their' sort of camaraderie being mm-hmm. completely like out of tune with you know the uh uh division and and sort of contention between them like any other time when it comes to fred yeah and so like and jasmine calls that out right like you love her very much both of you don't you see you have the same love it should bring you closer together like very sort of 60s free love hippy dippy you know like we can just all love and it's okay and we're all good um So So I I guess,
1: I mean, I guess I feel like, I mean, do you think that um, the ways that, you know, Fred is sort of distinguished both by sort of her kind of negative reaction to her own perceived failure um, and then also like getting, you know, the the blood on her hands and, and having this clear sight? Um, is that just purely, um, an effect of, or, or is that just, how am I, what am I trying to say? Is that only to do with her character? Like, is, are these the ways that we might expect sort of Fred to, um, react under normal circumstances? Because you're kind of saying that like, well, her obsessive sort of manic reaction is an, is a normal psychological reaction within the character that we know as Fred. Like this is how Fred would react when, yeah. when she feels she has failed. Um, and actually I just thought of the fact that the episode begins with her kind of obsessively reorganizing books and stuff that's sort of driving Lauren crazy. So I guess there is the, the idea that this is part of Fred, that she is a bit obsessive and a bit manic Um, or are we, do we read anything into, like, the other characters, the ways they're affected by the spell are to kind of change their personalities. Like, it soothes over conflict where conflict would normally be. Like, between the tension between Angel and Connor or between Wesley and Gunn is gone. Um, normally we would expect tension. Um, That would be a kind of standard reaction for those characters. But with with Jasmine around, it's all that kind of hippie love and peace. You know, whereas, like, Fred's the only one who doesn't seem to be totally just soothed and calmed by Jasmine's presence. Like, you know, things that, like, she would normally be upset by, not only is she upset by them, she's, like, really upset by them. <laughs> and she yep. doesn't find the peace that the other characters seem to be finding. Um Now, that could just be Fred's personality plus expo- exposure to the blood, and that's all you kind of need. Or is there maybe, I don't know if the suggestion is that the spell didn't fully work on her to begin with, or... I mean, it did in that she fell under it, but I wonder if there's a reason why. Is she kind of affected differently than other people or I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah. Like Hmm. why when Jasmine gives her a pep talk, does Fred not accept it the way that everybody else sort of does? Um. I, guess, I mean, I guess the fact that by then she's got the blood on her hands, so that's sort of the the main reason, is that she sees this mask of horror. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Um. And maybe we don't have a straight answer, or maybe it's too early to kind of say, but just kind of wanted to...
0: Uh, Yeah, those are good questions. I'm trying to think of any conversations they have before the blood, right? Um,
1: Well, she beats herself up when Jasmine um, gets hurt, and Fred sort of warned her and... um, You know, and I I don't.
0: Yeah. So, because like you're definitely right. Like when she goes upstairs to give her the new shirt, and Jasmine's like trying to give her the pepto, like she's not responding well. But yeah, like that's because she's seeing this, yeah, decayed and maggoty face. You know, like that you know, just
2: you
1: know, I and I need to go back and rewatch because there is a conversation in between the like bowling alley fight when she gets
0: hurt. right like when every everyone's like fighting and like Jasmine and Fred are kind of off to the side like right. just kind of watching and right. and talking so I I do that, remember that
1: between that and when she goes upstairs and sees like the the face there is another there is another conversation, the part where she's like, you know, um, you know, the, sh- the you know, it, when Jasmine says it was just a shirt and she says, but it was on, but it was yours. It was on you. Isn't that like in the hotel? I think they're like in the lobby.
0: Yeah, but I don't th- Like, I don't think the implication is that, like, I don't like Fred hasn't touched the shirt yet. Okay. Like, she hasn't touched the shirt and gotten blood.
1: All right. In my memory, she was, like, holding it. But maybe I'm forgetting.
0: Possibly. I, I don't know. Like, We'd have to. But even if she's holding the shirt, that doesn't mean she's touched the blood. You sure. know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what I'm saying. Is like, I've always taken it as, it's when she's washing the shirt and the blood is in the water. And, like, she's her hands are in the water and it's bloody water. And that's where the yeah. contact happens. So like, just holding the shirt doesn't necessarily mean that she has gotten blood on her bare hands or whatever. You know what I mean?
1: That's fine. My, my point was the kind of Jasmine's reaction when she gets sort of hurt in the bowling alley. When she kind of does the, like a mini version of the pep talk of, oh, it wasn't your fault you tried to warn me and all that. It doesn't take away Fred's sort of obsessive desire to undo what happened. Whereas to me, the other characters seem to accept more quickly what Jasmine sort of tells them. Um, like, oh, don't worry about this. And they kind of go, okay. Like, uh, you know, they kind of seem to find a piece in what she tells them. Whereas Fred seems to resist that for some reason. Um, but maybe that's just who Fred is. That's what they, you know, that's what Wesley and Gunn agree on is that she's single-minded and obsessive about things. And so maybe it's just a function of her personality.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Because, I mean, I like, there's still Angel feels like he's failed at her and goes off and broods. So, like, maybe it's just different degrees in different people. Like, mm-hmm. may, I don't know. Maybe it's, like, a genetic predisposition <laughs> or something to, like, whatever the enchantment is there. Like, maybe some people have more of it than others or... Mm-hmm. You know, just like some people are more prone to alcoholism than others, or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't know that there's ever like a clear explanation of like that particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, does it feel off? Like, I, I guess, I guess my question would be like, okay, if we were to say that like bread for some reason is like less enamored or glamored by jasmine than others like does that seem off or like does that like still work within the story
1: um i don't think it's like a problem um it's more just me looking like for sort of clues and guidance from what were presented Um, And there's just a quality with Fred's storyline in this episode that feels different, even before we get to the blood, I guess, is my sort of main point. Um, So, I mean, I think we could kind of keep that an open question and talk about it as it develops. Um, So... She ends up okay, so she goes and talks to John Stoller. Oh, the other thing I did want to bring up is his sort of you know declaration to her about now her mission, right? About you know, she has to die. You have a calling. We have to kill it. You saw it, then you've been called called Mm -hmm. to the mission. So for one thing why does he think this? How does he know this? You know, Fred has seen what he's seen and she doesn't feel, nobody's showed up and told her until now that, you know, you have a mission. Um, So that's not something that just comes with the clear sight. Um, So where is he sort of getting this directive? Um, And then, so he also seems to kind of equate, like, if you saw this, then you've been called. But like, does that mean that like it It seemed like the blood just sort of got on both of them just sort of accidentally. So that's not exactly being called to something that's sort of being randomly sort of selected by chance, if chance you call it um, based on like who the blood happens to sort of splash on. So, you know, to what extent is this like a random occurrence or are they being, you know, called in the way that he seems to think they are?
2: Sure.
0: Um, um and called I, by
1: called by who is always a good question. Um I yeah.
0: I don't call it chance. I call it um design by Elizabeth Kraft and Sarah Fain, who wrote the episode. But, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, no, I mean good questions. I think a couple things are one, like I don't I don't think we can like, even if we see the connection between, like, we've got more information than either Fred or John, right? Like, we see the connection that they've both been exposed to blood, and now they both see this thing. Mm. They don't, I don't think they necessarily know that, right. like, that that's the connection. And I, like, and that's a connection we're drawing without it ever being stated in the episode. So, mm-hmm. like, it's possible we're wrong that that's the reason why. Mm-hmm. We're not wrong. It's true. But, like, it's never stated. Yeah. I'll go, like, I mean, I'm not gonna, like, pretend like that's not the thing, but, like...
1: Is this a leap that John is making? Like, oh, I'm the only one who saw its face. I must be the chosen one, you know?
0: I think that that's a reasonable way to read that, is that remember, this is a guy who is the only one of all the people who, you know, until Fred comes later when he's in the hospital, he's the only one who sees something different than everyone else. He gets the crap beat out of him. So, like, his physical shape isn't exactly the best. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's now being committed to, like, a psych ward because of the things that he knows or believes that he saw. Mm-hmm. So I think even if he is saying like, this is like, you know, the sort of typical, like this, the sane man in the asylum, right? Like even if he is sane, like, there's plenty of reason for him to be questioning his own sanity because everyone else is doing it. And then, and, and like, also because like he's literally the only one who saw all this stuff until Fred comes in and admits it. Mm-hmm. So like how does one spend their time? And keep in mind, like this is like at least a day later, because it's like nighttime
2: mm-hmm.
0: when they go, and like he gets crappy out of him, and then it's like daytime when Fred goes to see Jasmine, and then it's like night again, like when she's going to see. Him. So there's like at least a day gone by here. How has he spent his last twenty four hours? probably on pain medication being told that he's insane and knowing that he's seen something that nobody else has seen. Like it wouldn't surprise me if someone would maybe jump to Mm -hmm. conclusions about like being the chosen one or like being the only sane one when everyone else is crazy and that kind of thing. And so when someone who genuinely comes along and says she believes him or seems genuine that she believes him like he latches onto that and and i think the like you've been called you're the chosen one is more like like you could almost read that as defense mechanism for himself like i'm not crazy i'm called right like i'm i'm the one that's you know been chosen to like try to kill the beast and like now you've been chosen to, and since I'm, like, tied up in the hospital, you have to go mm-hmm. take on the mission. Like, I don't, I don't think this is, like, I don't think we're meant to believe that this is, like, the powers that be have sent him some knowledge that, like, everyone else doesn't have. Right. You know, a vision kind of thing. Right. That's just my read on it. Like, we mm-hmm. can see if that plays out, but I don't, I just don't, I don't see, I see this more as, like, an insane man trying, or, you know, someone who's been put into an insane asylum, anyway, trying to, like, make sense of, like, his situation Mm -hmm. and what he's seen, rather than some kind of, like, supernatural, mystical explanation.
1: Yeah, and trying to get Fred to cooperate and let him go, you know, like you know
0: well and not just let it go but like i mean the cause and yeah i think that you know it's a genuine desire like when he like because i mean he sees jasmine and immediately is like we have to kill the monster like Mm -hmm. i think yes it would be nice if you let him go but i think he really cares about jasmine being killed like right so if he can convince fred to go do that like that would be fine too yeah um
1: right but trying he has to convince her like mm-hmm. he has to start with her, um so kind of even if he believes it 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 sort of is in his interest to sort of play up the fact that they have this mission in common
0: right
1: um yeah,,
0: um, and there is that nice like you've been called, no, no, and then the phone rings right <laughs> right that's
1: just eerie um yeah yeah and and her thing about. I don't get called, I take messages, you know, for my boss who, you know, gets calls, which is a nice little double entendre. Um, Mm. You know, like, that's what assistants do is take calls for other people. But um, that kind of has extended into, I guess, her view of her role with the group is she's not the one with the calling. She's the one helping and assisting the other people who Sure. Are the real sort of leaders. Um,
0: Well, yeah. And so, I mean, I think then this becomes an interesting episode from that perspective of, you know. Fred is the researcher, not the, you know, one who goes out and kills things. And not that we've never seen, like, right. Like, we've seen, like, she designs, you know, weapons and stuff. So, like, not that she can't fight back or can't, like contribute to the more militaristic side of you know what they do but that's not her like primary role and so like now she's sort of being thrust into that role of like everyone else has kind of gone crazy like now she does have to be the one to like wield a knife and you know potentially kill people and Mm
2: -hmm.
0: or things or whatever
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, ends with Fred on her own. Um, which, you know, the references to Pylea that we've made kind of make me realize that's not the first time she's been completely on her own, right? Like, in a world full of people that want to kill her or, you know, enslave her or whatever. Um,
0: yeah. So... She spent a lot of time on her own. And- so we
1: kind of, th- I think of this as unprecedented, but it's not, you know, it's just not the role that we've come to see her within the group as right. the one to kind of take charge and be the hero and lead the way. But she certainly has survived on her own before. So in a way, she's kind of better equipped for this than maybe any of them are. Um
0: Yeah. Right, being on the run, hiding out. Right, like, that's where we yeah.
1: first met her.
0: It is, but like we don't see the five years or whatever of that that she spent in Pylea right. doing that. Right, we just see her kind of at the end, and of course, at that point, we don't know that she's going to go on to become yeah. actually part of the group. Like right. she could just be a person of the week, you right. know, uh, guest star kind of thing.
1: Right, but it is a return to that place where we first sort of encountered her. Um,
0: One of the criticisms that a lot of people have of this season, I mean, there are many criticisms that people have of season four of Angel. And we can talk about those when we get to the end of the season and reflect back upon it. One of them though, um, in addition to like all the Connor stuff and, you know, Connor and Cordy stuff um, and just Connor in general um, is the perception of the sort of casting aside of Fred for much of the season, mm-hmm. as especially like as like the object of affection for both Gunn and Wesley, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of sort of like fighting over her and like this and that and mm-hmm. they sort of ignore what she wants and kind of just it becomes a thing between the two of them which is, again, like we talked about that in this episode even of like how it's unusual that they're sort of getting along and Jasmine's like bringing up I think a lot of people forget that like there's this point of the season where Fred like is holding a knife to Lauren's neck and like, you know, going out against like not just even everyone she knows, but like literally everyone. If we're to believe that like the news, the the, the newscast at the end is probably going to be pretty detrimental to her personally. Like, (laughs) um, you know, so just this idea that, like, I do think there's a lot to criticize in the season, and we can and we can talk about that again, like when we get to the end of the season. But like, just want to point out that like, while it's true that like Gunn and Wesley argue and fight over her and do sort of like objectivize her, ob- objectivize is that the right word? Ob- objectify, objectify her. Objectify. Um, that doesn't mean we have to as, like, you know, <laughs> viewers of the season. Like, we can actually, like, look at what she does and the things that she does and see, like, oh, she actually does have some agency here and, and does mm-hmm. things on her own and goes against everyone else. And yeah. um, even, like, trying to go to Wesley and seeing pretty quickly how that's going to fail, like, right. comes together with a plan to escape and... yeah you know all of that yeah and
1: i'm interested to see you know how she fares with that in the next episode sure um and not to dwell on the love triangle and prove the point that you're trying to you know go against but um um, it is interesting that she she chooses chooses wesley Wesley to confide in in. um Um, just you know
0: is he but isn't isn't gun like up next to Jasmine? Like I w- I wonder how much of that is like I'm trying to remember the scene and I I remember like her talking to Wesley. I I guess I just was thinking that that was just like he was the most accessible person.
1: And maybe it is, but it's it's a choice. <laughs> Whether on her t- her part or the writer's, you know, it's a choice. Somebody
0: Sure. Yeah, right. And, okay. Yes. At least on the writer's part, like they could have, if what if Gun was on the balcony and Wesley was in the crowd, they could have just switched them and right. put Gun in the crowd. And yeah. Right.
1: um
2: Fair enough.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I guess I took it as a more deliberate choice than that, but um but again, it's a little hard to. And it, It's a
0: little I mean, hard to prove. It could have been. I mean, it's all impressions. I mean, like, and you,
1: and it's all like. Feeding the the tension between those characters, even if Wesley and Gunn are sort of under the spell for the moment the the that storyline is still kind of taking along of who mm-hmm. who does she ultimately feel who who does she trust more um and at least in this moment, whether it's a conscious choice or not, she chooses to confide in Wesley so anyway well, I don't think we we don't need to read too much into it but it, again, it's a choice.
0: Trust, yes. May, maybe, but also... Who could she... Who does she think maybe she convince more? Sure. Like, knowing that Wesley has feelings for her and, like... Not that Gunn doesn't have feelings for her, but, like, Wesley's maybe a little more willing to do stuff for her than gun would be at that point
1: well and Um, i think i think she thinks of wesley as more her intellectual soulmate of here's somebody who thinks like me and so Mm. if i'm trying to convince somebody i'm going to go to the person who we speak the same language i know how to talk to them because i know how they think um you know but but it could also just be a pure convenience thing of I'm going to talk to the first person that I see. Um, I mean, she knows that she has to be careful though. So I don't think she's just grabbing anybody, you know?
0: Sure. And, and so maybe it's in addition to what you say, like, I don't, I think that's a valid way to look at it. In addition to that, maybe it's also just not even just how, not even like Wesley thinks similar to her, but like, also just knowing that he's very rational and so like right and and he's the one who gave the speech about i'm just thinking of this now but he's the one who gave the speech about it's a spell like clearly this is whatever so maybe she's thinking that like right
1: maybe he he can can resist it and there's enough i can
0: yeah yeah there's enough rational thought there that if anyone can kind of break through the enchantment and see beyond it he can yeah Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, we should wrap up. Oh, yeah. (laughs)
0: We've gone a little long. We Um, have.
1: Um. You kind of mentioned the the newscast. Um. Presumably, in addition to enchanting the whole world, Jasmine will be giving away Fred's cover of some kind, like telling people to be on the lookout. Um.
0: I I like how we sort of end with her like going into her mythological tale right like like she's repeating like what she's already right you you know you talked about like the circle like now this is like the televangelist version of that yeah Um, well and
1: it has the even though the tale isn't what like the spell was in effect even before she told her myth there's still a sense of like this is a ritual like i'm I'm repeating yep. the sacred words which have a particular sort of effect on the listener um sure. you know it has that um and we learn that her her name is Jasmine, um which mm. we've been getting little references throughout to the scent of the jasmine in her right in her quarters um I guess it, I don't know if we find out who chose the name. She kind of says at one point that she can't name herself, although maybe she does in the end, I don't know. Um, anything particular? She drops enough
0: hints that they finally get it.
1: <laughs> oh, this beautiful scent. Um. Um.
0: Yeah, yeah I don't. Anything I don't else
1: don't... about the name that's worth sort of you know?
0: No, out? I, I know mean, I other than anything. other than that, like, maybe it's sort of a little exotic and like we you know it's like I think the idea behind it is that it smells really nice and so you you almost get like an aromatherapy kind of idea which is supposed to make people happy and content Mm -hmm. and and, you know like like maybe there's some like small connections and that sort of thing but Mm -hmm. I don't nothing like earth shattering or you know whatever it's it's a nice name it's not it's not completely unusual, but it's not like a common name either like mm-hmm. um and it it reflects back to you know the smells the the sort of nice smells that she keeps
1: yeah, commenting
0: yeah. upon and that kind of thing
1: well, yeah, and I think the new ageiness of it is is definitely sure. key, like you said
0: um. The other thing, I mean, just because, like, I don't know that this would necessarily be obvious, but just that her her spell or enchantment seems it like. I mean, I guess we don't really know the effect of the newscast yet, right? Like, we just sort of see it, so we'll probably have to wait till the next episode to see it. The presumption, though, is that like, not that not this wasn't the connection that I was going to make um, before, but like. Thinking back to um the Doctor Who episode with the Neil Armstrong video where you get the silence, you know, mm. in the in the gap there. Um of like there's there's an effect that's over the TV.
1: Right, using TV that, to for my That
0: control, wouldn't yeah. but like that wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily assert that sort associate that sort of technological, you know sight, which is just like electrons and stuff like being passed over wires like being able to carry this sort of magical and you know enchantment aspect of it but like that seems to be like the presumed effect like that will happen even though we don't technically know that like that's certainly what fred seems to be afraid of in the end there and just going based on like sort of reactions and whatever that like by going on TV like she's now going to like expose millions of people at once to her
2: mm-hmm.
0: loving kindness or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. and they would all like presumably be drawn to her in the same way that going out for a walk she brought all those people back to the hotel now like you know you'll have like people on pilgrimages mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever like you know seeking her out and that kind of thing right. um that's sort of the impression I get anyway. So just I like when I think about like in the ways that like, I don't think, I don't think we get a melding of sort of enchantment magic and technology in that quite that same way anywhere else in the Buffyverse. Do we like, have you, is there, unless I'm thinking like, like even with the trio, we like we got some like
2: technological
0: about, uh, things and then we got some like magical things but they were never like mixed in that sort of way that i can think of
1: i don't want to set us off on a tangent but what about Moloch?
0: oh yeah. the
1: the demon on the internet might be the closest of that that the, could be the that, that could I
0: be the exception of. that proves the rule right like that yeah. maybe that's the right yeah. it's
1: it's rare at at if she's not the only one, she's one of the only times they've really tried to meld the supernatural with the technological in quite that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good that that's a good counterpoint. So um maybe it's not wholly uh as... just when
1: you thought when we were done with the uh Moloch references, he always comes back.
0: That just that just reminds me that I still haven't finished that paper. <laughs> um nonetheless okay well anyway so but i did want to point that out because i don't think that would necessarily be obvious that like the magic would work over technology like that and the assumption at least until until proven otherwise like in the next episode if um, if we are proven otherwise that that seems to be sort of like the way they're getting us to think
1: yeah i mean the fact that everyone in the diner you know bends a knee in worship seems to kind of right. prove that that is like even over the, you know, over the TV, her, it, it's over something the about the mere sight of yeah. her, even in that form
0: or her voice um, or, or something, whatever, something like, like that. yeah,
1: yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Yep. All right. uh So, yeah. So, um, Yeah, we'll have to wait till next episode, which, unfortunately, is two weeks from now because we're going back to Buffy, which isn't unfortunate in itself, but, like, just wanted to mention that since it's been a little while. Right. Uh, We do have a Buffy episode next. Um, Okay. On to Doctor Who, though. Yes. Knock, knock.
1: Who's
0: there? Yeah. Who? Um, Yeah, (laughs) who? Who is there? Yes. Okay, that was bad. Uh, But anyway, so you had a couple of production notes, I think.
1: So the only things I wanted to point out um, was the fact that this is by a new writer to Doctor Who. Um, so this is the first episode by Mark Bartlett, who um, I think his major credit is um, a show that I know is popular in the UK, um, and I think it played here in the US too, called Dr. Foster, um, which is kind of drama, sort of a soapy drama, um, with, uh, Saran Jones, who played the TARDIS in the Doctor's Wife episode, um, mm. and Bertie carvel who was Jonathan Strange in that miniseries, so, um... Anyway, just a thing to sort of check out if you're interested in what else he's done. Um, but he hasn't—he doesn't have a ton of, you know, TV or film credits to his name, so I think he's fairly new. Um, and so the only other thing, which is kind of cool about this episode, is um, on BBC iPlayer, and I think it's on the Blu-ray version too, they have a version of this episode with what they call binaural sound, um, which they said is, like, basically 3D, but with sound. So if you have, like... I don't know if you have to, like, pair Bluetooth headphones or whatever, but, like, if you, you know, set your headphones up and you play the episode, it does, like, a surround sound kind of effect of as the wood creaks and, the you know, the bugs move, you hear them sort of behind you and... You know all around you and in the walls and that sort of thing, um, so just could, did a little like special version of the episode playing with like the sound effects and everything mm. um anyway um but we did not watch that version, so we can't really talk about how that might affect <laughs> your perception of this episode for for good or otherwise, so um,
2: yeah. Anyway, well, the,
1: the reviews I've seen are that it's pretty cool, like just as a simple effect. You know, I don't I don't think it hugely changes anybody's perception of the episode. Um, it's not like, oh, once you see it this way, like, you know, you can never you can never it, yeah. like I don't think it's anything that quite that dramatic. But um, but just in terms of trying to be a little bit experimental with the technology um that's a pretty cool
2: effect
0: cool um unfortunately we have to talk about this episode though. <laughs> um the episode we actually have uh which leads into my little disclaimer I yeah, think, before yeah. um is that i don't i i don't particularly like this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's like the worst Doctor Who episode, um, mm-hmm. although that's a whole separate discussion. <laughs> um, but I, I do find it sort of like that's there a are bonus parts
1: episode it, Sometime, what are your <laughs> the, worst episodes of anything?
0: Yeah, that's our next anniversary episode. <laughs> yeah, there. right. Um. So whether so, there are certainly parts of this episode that are like fine. They're serviceable, like watchable you know, Doctor Who episode. And then there are parts that are like, hmm, yeah, well, all right. And as far as like talking about things, those are probably the more <laughs> interesting parts to like, you know, go back to like, you know, wherein its badness consists type mm-hmm. of discussion. Um, but I do want to point out that like, uh, like I, I don't, I don't want to come out of this like implying that like I hated this episode right. and like, only have bad things to say. Well, I do kind of only have bad things to say about it, but that's that's because like other parts of this episode are just fine, and there's just not much to say either good or bad about it. But it's like overall, I'm sort of like, yeah, it's an average episode.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But let's talk about the stuff that's like could have been better. Yeah, and you know, figure out. Yeah, I mean, if there is stuff that we want to say that's good about it, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Like we can have those moments if we so desire um but i just i feel like that's the direction this conversation want to go and i just okay. want to put that disclaimer up front like i don't actually hate it as much as it's going to sound this like yeah it's going I hate to sound it. like yeah yeah <laughs> um fair enough with that said um, so like starting right from the beginning of finding a place to live so i'm just going to throw this out there in my senior year of college i lived in a townhouse with three other guys mhm Um, And we picked the number of people because that was the number of people that could live in that size of a house based on the number of rooms and beds that were available. Mm -hmm. I feel like right from the beginning, they go about this whole search very, very wrong (laughs) by saying, like, not only do we have five people, but we're going to add a sixth. And then we're going to go try to find a house that will accommodate all six of us. Right. Rather than, like, someone being like, okay, I found this house that's somewhat affordable. And if we split it up amongst five or six people, then it would, you know, be okay to live in. And it's a good size and whatever. Like, I don't know. I just, that feels so very, like, contrived. Well, I know. I know we try not to use that term. Yeah, yeah. But, like. Like, it's not even that, like, there's five friends who all want to live together and they're trying to find a place to live together. But it's, like, they actively bring in, like, a sixth person. Like, like they need a sixth person to, like, make it work. Mm. But they don't even have a house and don't know how much they're going to have to spend and don't know, like, yeah. what the living conditions and situation are going to be. Like Like, those are, I don't know. It just seems very backwards. Yeah. And that's fine. I, like what's not fine is that then it feels like from a, just a writing and storytelling perspective is that some of those characters just end up be being completely sort of extraneous. And yeah. Yeah. Like, I think you could have told this story perfectly fine with four roommates. One of them being bill rather than six. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think you needed all six of these people to like tell the story. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially since, like we, like some of them, we just never really get to know at all. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. I feel just like, just from the practical spe- perspective of like, searching for a place to live. <laughs> like you don't start with like six people and then try to find a house that will accommodate you all. But also, just from the storytelling perspective, that's that's sort of my qualm right from the beginning of this episode
1: yeah Um, and i think the element that is weird is and i can't figure out like what the reason or the sort of purpose for it is bill's separateness from the rest of the group in terms of not knowing them or being friends with them because I don't know, you might decide we need a house for six people if you had six friends who wanted to live together. But the fact that they don't know Bill is right. what makes that strange. Like, why are we trying to shoehorn this six person in when she's only kind of friends with Shireen um, right. and has never even met anybody before? And to me, that just kind of points to the... That's a symptom of the larger question of what exactly is the story here of Bill with her friends Um, because I wish that there was a story (laughs) there Um, and I don't think there really is one. Um, But there are, it's those little things that I think can be tough with, um, you know, Dr. Who's particular brand of, wanting to be both serialized but also very standalone and and there are certain writers or certain episodes that i think get tripped up with that of wanting to put in those character details you know because when they don't have character details that's frustrating like oh like the crew has no personality in the spaceship or you never really get a sense of the characters or what's the arc of the story or whatever. So they put in things like hints of trying to get to know what is the group dynamic here, um, yeah. but then doesn't do anything with it. I mean, beyond the fact that we never see these characters again. Um,
0: but, right, well, but, that's like the weird thing, because like the, end, the very end of it is like, well now we need to find someplace else to live and we've lost our deposit and right. it's like right okay but then we never see like where like, else right. they like, end up she, living I,
1: I think she like just goes back home and from my memory is she's back with her foster oh, okay. mom and everything that's I think what happens so yeah yeah why introduce this group and and bother to give them like even whatever bits of characterization they do have, if there's really kind of no, and I can't really f- find any like symbolic point to it either, like it, th- there's no kind of relationship between the kind of moving in with your friend's story and the um, landlord and his daughter story that I can see. Like there's no like mm-hmm. echo between them that gives it kind of like, it's not, like, a foreshadowing of anything. It's not, like, it enhances your understanding of the main part of the story or whatever. Um yeah. And, like, the main thing I'm kind of struck by throughout is Bill's, like, at least in the first half, her, like, main state is one of embarrassment. Like, mm. um, you know, not wanting the doctor to come inside, um, to help her, like, move her stuff, and kind of pretending that he's her grandfather, they don't just, like, travel together, which is, I guess, kind of weird to admit, um, but then, like, her awkwardness with the other flatmates, and her, like, you know, when, when she's embarrassed by the music that she has on her phone, and, um, and wonders, like, why, why Shireen didn't want to sleep next to her. Like, she's not cool enough. Like this kind of little thread of Bill feeling insecure, which is interesting, but then I don't know what to, where we're supposed to go with that. Like, I don't feel like that's something we follow necessarily into subsequent sort of episodes. Yeah um i mean i guess in terms of companion doctor interaction i'm intrigued by the embarrassment because i feel like that's slightly different than something we've seen before you know like there's been other times where the companions have tried to like hide the fact that they travel with the doctor or or don't know how to explain who he is or that kind of thing but the way she kind of does treat him like an embarrassing weird uncle you know is kind of different i think than any other relationship we've had so far
2: sure um
1: like i can't think of any other instance in the new show quite like that right but then it's those little it's those little tantalizing bits where it was like oh you had you almost had something original there but you didn't really follow through with it
2: Mm-hmm. yeah
0: um yeah so trying to think of where to go I think even just going back to like the search aspect right the, the I feel it's one of those things where I feel like someone like came up with like oh wouldn't it be cool if we had this montage with this like music and like they were all looking for homes and like there was something funny and weird and whatever about each of them. Instead of just like, like it almost would have been better if they had come to bill, like or Shireen had like come to bill and been like, Hey, we found this home, but we need like a fifth person to make it work. You should move out of your foster mom's house and come live with us. Right. And then like they go and it's like this weird, like old creepy mansion. And like, almost like in that respect, like Bill would have been more skeptical. Cause I feel like Mm -hmm. if you're like, I I think you're right. Like that first, it's weird for her to go from like embarrassed and like not wanting the doctor to be around to like, then later in the episode being like the one who's like figuring out that like, the landlord is actually the son and like all this like she does a lot of the actual like figuring out work for mm-hmm. lack of a better term um which is like like that part's not weird just from what we know of her character already but like it's weird in the episode where it's like she doesn't want the doctor around and doesn't want people to know that like she's travels with him or like learns from even like He could have even said, like, oh, he's my tutor or something, because that's true, too. Like, Mm -hmm. well, not too, because, like, if that's true, the other thing isn't true, (laughs) that he's her granddad. So, like, I mean, I guess it could be weird that, like, your tutor is helping you move, but it's just, like, I don't know. Like, there's other... Other ways where she could have sort of, I guess, explained that away and not had that whole, like, embarrassment response.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't know. I, yeah. Whatever. Like, that's fine. So I just... Anyway, to get past the first, like, five minutes. <laughs>
1: um, I will say something positive, though. I love the Doctor helping her move with the TARDIS. Like, of just, like, this completely mundane thing of I'm just going to materialize around your boxes and move them, you know, right. A couple of like a couple miles away or whatever. Like, you know, that that's totally the kind of practical thing that, you know, you would probably use it for. Yeah. Um, and, well, and it's a nice note that she doesn't have much that like, sure. you know, in this house with her foster mom, she actually has like very little that is hers that she's sort of taking with her.
0: Well, and now she doesn't have anything if, like, the house collapses at the end, right? Oh,
1: no, her mom's photos. Just thought of this. I guess um, he he can go take more.
0: Right, yeah. Uh, Easy peasy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I hadn't thought about that. I just thought of Um, it now. So, yeah, I mean, the other, like... And not wanting him to like use the TARDIS into that. Like like okay, fine, but that ends up back, you know, biting her back, you know. If if she had just like picked out the room, it like she just said, Oh, let me go inside for a minute and pick out my room and then like told him which room to go to Like Yeah. And then like he never would have interacted with the others and like would have been gone and I mean obviously then that would be a different episode and all of that, but it's just that funny thing of like, doesn't even want him to like move the stuff into the house. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess, cause that would be weird. Cause then it would be like questions of like, Oh, I didn't see you carrying in your boxes. How did they get up here? Like, kind of thing, I guess, but I don't know. Anyway, it's just kind of a weird. Anyway. So, um, they do find this house. They find it because like, there's this, creepy old guy on the street over here like listening to their conversation basically right um seems and offers them like a really good deal on a really big house um they just can't go up in the tower
2: yeah
0: yeah nothing sketchy about this yeah um at all although like i do know people like sort of in their late teens and early 20s who would totally do that so like like i don't think that that's like inauthentic in any way like people who are maybe not self-reflective enough to like really be concerned about maybe the sketchy conditions in which they are asked to live especially if there's sort of a major discount involved (laughs) Mm -hmm. um Yeah, I mean, she
1: kind of that's kind of Bill's thing of like, you know, it's drafty and there's a dodgy landlord. That's kind of standard. Um, Right.
0: Right. And there is sort of like a like the house is weird and whatever, but like it's like it's an old house. Like it's got some quirks, you know, which give it kind of a, you know, maybe a, a charming mystique or, you know, like whatever. Like there's not it's not like. Like it might be kind of creepy in some ways, but it like they sort of rationalize it in a way of like ah it's just old like you know it was built in the thirties or whatever and you know it's got some creaks and and you know we can't find the door to the tower but like that's alright because you're not supposed to be up there anyway <laughs> so like um, yeah and the dodgy landlord like what landlord isn't dodgy like you, that's almost like a requirement for being a landlord. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Then people start disappearing. Um, but it's okay, because, like, Pavel apparently just disappears in, on his own. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Like, again, it's, like, just one of those things where it's, like, we don't know these people, so I guess that's fine. But, like, Even when he doesn't come down for like dinner and stuff, like, doesn't that seem odd? Like, I don't know. I, there's,
2: yeah, it's fine, I guess.
0: Or like the music, like, because that music is specific to the house, right? Like, that's is that that's not Pavel's music that's playing, is it? Like,
1: I yeah, is that what his, we're meant to be? It's his record that he puts on.
0: Oh, he puts it on,
1: right? But I think they think of it as like, oh, he's a weird musician who listens to records on loop. So it's like, it's that's just him being weird or something. But yeah, I don't know. We don't get to know these people well enough to really care about them so much. Um,
0: The weird part, though, is that their friends don't seem to care about them that much. (laughs) Sure. I think that's the part that I get stuck at. Yeah. yeah. and yeah. So, uh, yeah, from there, it just becomes like the different interactions between the people. So, I mean, there's, the doctor sort of appears and, and all of the bizarre kind of, um, uncomfortable and, you know, sort of ashamed, not ashamed, but like, what, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That you just, said of Bill. Embarrassed. Embarrassed, thank you. Um you know, behavior sort of creeps up and she tries to like get him to leave and he does, or at least they think he does, for a little while and then reappears in the pantry. Like all of that sort of filler until like they kind of separate ways, right? Like the doctor's like, oh I'm gonna hang out with like Harry and Felicity, you know, third wheel style. And you know, we're gonna jam out in the living room to you know whatever tunes they're listening to um and then Bill, Shereen and Paul all go upstairs and there's sort of a little triangle thing going on there um you know with Paul liking Bill and mm-hmm. he's kind of like yeah I like chicks and Shireen seems to like Paul back but is sort of jealous because he likes Bill and right. all of this stuff um which is all fine. Like whatever we get like two minutes of that. And then Paul gets eaten by the house too. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the classic, like, you know, he starts off joking and then he's not joking, but they don't know he's not joking. And mm-hmm. so they kind of get mad at him. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they kind so they kind of go off. I mean, eventually Bill and Shereen, find you know the wall sort of eating their friend um and then the landlord just kind of appears out of nowhere um Mm -hmm. presumably like because he can control the house and like it'll open like these various doors and windows or hatches that like it's been closing off to everyone else Um, yeah
1: yeah i guess so
0: And so, like, meanwhile, you get the Doctor and Harry and Felicity kind of figuring out that, like, these doors and, you know, the doorways and stuff are, like, closing themselves off. Felicity, like, jumps out the window, which is kind of funny. Um, And the Doctor and Harry basically end up running away from these, like, they end up calling them lice, but, like, they're, like, beetles or whatever. Right, or, right, like, like,
1: dryads, he calls them.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, at one point, um, but, yeah. Yeah, I guess they're kind of, like, woodlice from space. Is that what he calls them at the end?
0: Sure. Um, they run away and, like, go into the basement, which is, like, concrete, I guess, so, like, that's why they don't follow him down there. It's not real clear. Mm-hmm. Um, until, like, then later.
2: Right, until he's on the do, stairs.
0: Right, he's on the stairs. Um, And down there is where they discover the possessions of, like, previous occupants, right? And realize that, like, these are the possessions of people who are no longer alive because they've all died, like, in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, And then find out literally, like, in the house, like, within the structure of the house they've been pulled in. Which, by this point, we sort of know because Bill and Shereen have found Pavel. so, yeah, I don't, like, all of that sort of, like, plot stuff. Like, I just don't know what to say about it all. Like, it's all fine. Yeah. Like, I don't know that it's, like, it's not bad.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. I mean, again, other than, like, I don't think you need, I don't think you need, like, both Pavel and Paul to have been, like, eaten by the house to, mm-hmm. like, get to where Bill and Shireen are, like, investigating. I don't think like Felicity jumps out the window and then we just like never see her again, right? Like until the end, like with the others. Like does she
1: Um doesn't she get like I thought something happens to her outside, like doesn't she get like absorbed by like a tree or something?
0: Okay, so like but like but it's like, the same sort of thing. Same idea. Yeah.
1: No, and I th- you do start to suspect that the number 6 has more to do with filling time than anything else of like creating enough Different scenarios of people getting eaten to sort of mark time throughout the episode. Yeah, um, uh,
0: yeah.
2: You know,
1: I mean that's crit fic, but um, that's too bad.
0: That doesn't um, make it wrong.
1: That doesn't. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. I'm just <laughs> I I own the fact that that is speculative, but that's my sense. Right. Um, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, this is kind of standard, like. Uh, monster picks the crew off one by one sort of Doctor Who plot Um, I guess kind of sandwiched between like the roommate interactions earlier on which don't really go anywhere and then the final kind of like you, you know revelation of the backstory of you know the landlord and what his motivation is and everything there's just this kind of running around, you know, running from the monsters, putting the pieces together, part of the story. But I don't think there's a lot to analyze there.
0: Yeah. Um, eventually, Bill and Shireen make it up to, like, the top of the tower.
2: hmm
0: And they find Eliza,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is where we get the backstory.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Well, and once the like, doctor gets yeah. up there mm-hmm. after, after Harry's gone the way of the others, um. And actually, by that point, Shireen has as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like she step she stepped on a beetle lace thing to kill it or louse thing to kill it, and like it like crawls through her foot and it's. That's kind of a creepy little Mm -hmm. uh, thing. You know what? It reminds me of, um, did you ever see The Mummy? I was just thinking about that. The Brendan Fraser one. Right. When it's Um, like
1: under his skin. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Like that same kind of feel. Uh, Yeah. So um, you get the backstory that like Eliza was sick and. Her father, she thinks, uh, brought her, like, here's another part that I'm not entirely thrilled with. Brings her, like, curled-up, lice, potato-bug-looking things <laughs> to, like, amuse her, apparently. And that's fine. Like, there are... What and and entomologists is that the people who study bugs? Like mm-hmm. there are people who are fascinated by bugs. I guess I just don't know that. Like father or son, as we learned the landlord actually is. Like I guess it makes more sense for a son to do that. Like look, mommy, look what I found. Aren't these mm-hmm. funny looking? But like I don't know. It just it's an odd thing to like. Yeah, I brought the her these like curled up beetle lice you know data bug creatures well
1: and even in the to
0: like amuse in, her and make her feel better
1: even in the scene in the flashback the way she kind of smiles at him is in a kind of oh that's nice honey like like, like not like sure she's not terribly enthusiastic just kind of a like
0: oh like an appeasement
1: bugs how yeah. how nice I do like the doctor's like completely sincere thing of, well, everybody loves bugs. They're fascinating. Like, you know, sure. and, and would, right. you know, yeah. Like there's, that's just a good kind of doctor moment of this story makes perfect sense because who wouldn't find up, find curled up beetles in the garden and want to show them to people. Um, so, yeah. And I guess that's an opportunity for Bill to sort of jump in and point out all the holes in the doctor's, narrative um so you know gives her a little more agency in the the big reveal at the end Mm -hmm. um yeah right so but we do learn that the landlord is her son rather than her father um
0: which is fine
1: um I mean, I guess that's an okay twist. I don't know that that really changes the whole sort of story that much. Um, I mean, I guess it sort of, it brings up this theme of uh, you know, lost parents, you know, like, you know, but I guess that's just kind of name checking that for Bill's sake to kind of Mm. keep that, you know, That theme going of if you could save the one who brought you into this world, wouldn't you do that?
0: Yeah. Sure. Sure. And I mean, so when we were choosing sort of the title for our episode, too, you know, hope is its own form of cruelty, which is something the landlord says about, kind of about Pavel, like when the record gets stuck. And so like the house presumably can't finish absorbing or digesting him or whatever it's doing um and the idea being that like he still maybe has some hope that he can get out of his predicament i do feel like that's can be applied to the eliza and the landlord you know eliza and her son as well whereas mm-hmm. like this whole thing is presumably in the hope that someday she could be cured from whatever was ailing her before these lice creatures came along. Um, yeah. and that's kind of what the doctor offers. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's what he offers to get out of the basement and not get eaten. Cause, cause like the landlord's like, yeah, you're old and you don't have as much meat on your bones as the other people. But like, we'll take what we can get (laughs) like you know that doesn't mean you're scot-free like we'll still we'll still you know the house will still eat you um and the doctor sort of like offers like hey well i'm a doctor maybe i can heal your mom and right um that sort of hope i guess turns out to be somewhat cruel as well because in the end well his his daughter at that point, I guess, right? Like he's playing, the landlord's playing that it's his daughter, not his mm-hmm. uh, mother. But anyway, um, which makes me, so that whole thing. So, okay, I agree that like, I don't know that it necessarily changes like the situation that much. But what it does do is it brings up questions. Hmm. Like, one, like, how does Eliza not remember that she had a son?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And two, presumably the her actual father died at some point. Like, why does she not remember that? Right. At what point does the son start claiming he's the father? Like, seems to be a pretty young boy when, like, all of that you know bringing in of the bugs and like them helping to keep her alive happens like you're not going to have like a 10 year old suddenly start saying like i'm your dad like you know what i mean like there's got to be not just like some point at which he's older than she is when she's preserved but like some point even greater beyond that by eighteen twenty years so like how long until after that point like does he actually wait like I, these are all just questions that like inquiring minds want to know and why <laughs> why anyone would would actually believe that your son is your father um if like those sort of things need to happen. I don't know. Right. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I think you can kind of do your head headcanon and explain it away. But I think the point that you're making, which is good, is that what good is the twist if all it does is sort of confuse things and raise more questions rather than sort of, you know, there's not... There, it it complicates things rather than actually like resolves things. Um, which normally like the twist is there so that, Oh, everything makes sense now. But this one actually makes you go like, wait a minute. It actually makes like less sense (laughs) in some ways. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a little bit strange.
0: Um, but yeah, I don't like, okay. So fine. Like it's, a son instead of a father who like preserves his mom instead of his daughter. Like, okay, that's fine. Um, That works with Eliza because then it becomes the doctor, like you're the parent, you make the decision now, Mm -hmm. like of, you know, is this really the way that you want to be? And so that's what becomes the turn in the end of, eliza sacrificing not only herself but her son
2: mm-hmm.
0: who you know let's face it has lived a long and full life mm-hmm. like whether it was a good in full and, life is a different story but a like few
1: murders in his com- day so. yeah committed a few murders <laughs>
0: like so i mean i don't think we're met like this isn't like he's choosing to kill her you know eight or ten year old boy or right. however old he is although maybe mentally he's stagnated a little bit um but that's ultimately what like gets her to choose is is that like oh well this isn't my father it's actually my son but again like i think that would work fine if it had been a daughter and thought like Mm -hmm. if she would have said no father like this isn't i don't want you to do this i'm an adult now and i'm gonna choose like she could have done that as well i i feel like um anyway all that to say that Um, the other question I have is like, if this is the space lice preserving her,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. is this, is this a symbiotic relationship? Is she giving, so she's giving them something in the form of, I guess, being able to like feed on the people who come to live there, but it's like the landlord who's really doing that. So I guess he's the one that they kind of had to deal with, but they turn on him in the end and do her will. So what do the space lights get out of it? Like what, what do the space lights get out of restoring the people and like losing the house and not having like any ability? Like, like I kind of feel like it's not just the people characters. It's like, unlike so many other Doctor Who episodes, we have really no clue what the actual intent of the alien here is, the creature. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. like sometimes we, we even spend more time on that than we do the people in the episode. And here, we, it's almost just like that's not even a consideration at yeah. all. Um, especially if, as the Doctor says, that... Insects are interesting and, you know, we should study them and find out, like, what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then we just, it's just like, no, I'm going to decide to, like, let them eat me and my son. And then the house collapses, you know, fall of the house of Eliza. Right. And we never see them again. Like, they just all die. Yeah. Or go away. I don't
1: know. I mean, I guess... The idea is that Shireen, not Shireen, I was looking at her name, Eliza has power to control them. And so the reason that they're restoring the the kids and, and eating them is sort of her telling them to do that. But why she has the power to do that, I don't really right. know. Um, like why they gave her that power to begin with. Um yeah. Yeah. No. It. I don't think it. I don't think there's a lot explained there. Um. It bugs me too that everybody comes back. Um. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I think. Nah. You're not. You're never gonna use them again. Let them stay dead.
0: It's, it's not you. Catastrophic. You, you catastrophic. I, I, that's not an.
1: That's not an earned you catastrophe to me. Yeah. Like. That doesn't. I don't think that has the feel of everybody lives. Um,
0: this is cat's uh, more sociopathic side coming out. I um, eh, just let him stay dead.
1: If you don't, well, maybe, <laughs> we're never going to see might, him again
0: anyway. They might as well just die. It
1: might mean something <laughs> if they stayed dead. Like there might actually be some like consequence rather than like. I think it just adds.
0: So just Bill and the doctor at the end, just kind of standing with a collapsed house
1: yeah well we could comment
0: or, on that, or bring one back like maybe they find felicity like outside somewhere wandering
1: like. the moors or something i don't know <laughs> I, I just feel like if you're gonna dispatch of them so quickly which they did then then maybe make those deaths mean something to the story rather than like It just is very strange to, like, bring them up, try to characterize them a little bit, kill them off, and then bring them back, but don't use them again. Like, that's just a weird... Sure. Like, whereas I think if maybe they had... If there's something that could have... You know, if there's some point to be made about Bill's development of trying to find friends and move out and get away from... Uh, you know, her foster house and be independent and all that stuff maybe them all dying could have contributed something towards a character arc, but like I don't know and even, I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, it's, it's always pointless to complain about realism but I think this is a particularly egregious example of wait, how did they get uneaten? <laughs> like, they just sort of were eaten and now they're just They're, uneaten? like,
0: reconstituted?
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> even by the standards of Doctor Who, that's quite, um, that's quite a bit of a stretch, I think. Anyway. Um,
0: yeah, I don't have, I mean, I don't disagree with that per se. So, yeah so that's it like i don't i don't know that we need to spend a lot of more time on this episode we kind of you know yeah uh saw wherein its badness consists and and i don't again like i don't like when watching the episode i think it's fine like i the first time like seeing this through it was like i didn't put that much thought into like how bad it was it was sort of like and by first time, I mean, like, when I was watching it as the season actually progressed. Like, mm-hmm. not even this time for our podcast or whatever. But, you know, it's more just, like, after seeing it, like, three times, it's like, okay. Like,
2: yeah.
0: if I were to skip an episode, you know, this season, this might be the one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do want to talk about uh, just sort of an ending, the final bit with the vault at the end. Just because, like, this is the recurring mm-hmm. seasonal arc. Um, seems like with each episode we're getting a little bit of an escalation mm-hmm. right? Like with the sort of relationship of the Doctor. Um, you get Nardol kind of checking things out like looking at the panel. Tries to like sort of show the Doctor something but the Doctor's not interested and just tells him to go off and Nardol gets kind of annoyed and mm-hmm. upset like you know, oh, you never learn, do you? Like, you know, there's this. For as much as the doctor complains about Nardal being a nag and sort of a worrywart and, like, there to, like, help watch over him, like, he doesn't listen to him all that much and, like, certainly doesn't, like, respect him in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't, I mean... Right.
1: And for as much as Nardle complains about, like, the job that he has to do of watching over everything and making sure it's safe and everything, he doesn't seem, like, eager to leave. Like, the doctor needs to, like, scold him a few times to get him away from the vault. So it's not like as soon as the doctor shows up, Nardle's like, oh, thank God you're here, I'm out. Um, He seems, like, more invested in, like, you know... Protecting whatever it is that they're
0: guarding. Yeah. Um, Whereas so- the doctor
1: kind of wants to be buddy buddy. Um, play piano, eat takeout, tell stories about kids that get eaten, um, and bond right. over these these shared mutual loves. <laughs>
0: Yeah, which, right, presumably, like, because you get, like, the music, right? Like, there's this sort of happy Pop Goes the Weasel when he mentions, uh, you know, the story of the kids who get eaten. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to hear the doctor's version of the story <laughs> more than, like, the episode itself. <laughs> like, I kind of, like, want to know, like, how is it that the doctor is going to Maybe, maybe, change or maybe like emphasize certain parts of the story versus you know what we see and get emphasized here mm-hmm. um in the actual episode, um so just kinda yeah, kind of funny there um, so yeah, um. But, yeah, back to, like, the vault itself, though, like, because last episode, so, um, okay, so two things from last episode. One, the knocking. We brought it up last time. This episode's called Knock Knock. There's no knocking in, like, does anyone literally knock ever, like, in this episode?
1: I mean, there's nothing in the maybe house. Maybe in the but...
0: montage. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, like, knocking on the front door, I guess, is what I was thinking. But, yeah, you're right. Like, there's sound effects of knocking, like, mm-hmm. in the house. Um. Okay, that's fine. But, yeah, like, total miss. Mm-hmm. Again, knowing knowing what's coming up. yeah. Like, total missed opportunity for an episode called Knock Knock mm-hmm. to have. The four beat knocking, especially coming off of last episode. Right. Um, So there's that. Also, like, back on the Nardal thing, like, in the last episode, you had him saying, like, you know, I'm still here. As long as I'm still here, you're going nowhere. And then, like, the doctor basically telling him to bugger off. Like, does that mean that, like... Like, what does I'm still here mean? Like, does that mean at the door of the vault? Or does that just mean, like, I'm around and as long as I'm around, you won't go? Like, Mm -hmm. is there, is the doctor shooing him away, like, a refutation of that statement? I mean, not, not direct, like, uh, the doctor wasn't there when Ardall was saying that. So, like, I don't mean this, like, is he directly refuting it? But, like, is that... Like, can we see that as sort of a like maybe Nardal isn't as uh in charge as like he was sort of maybe implying he might mm. be, you yeah. know, last night. Which I mean, like we can sort of see that already, like even without a specific, a specific callback. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, just... he
1: talks a bigger game than he uh, is able to really. Right. Back up,
0: I guess. Like well, and like just in the end, the doctor's gonna do what he wants to do. Yeah. And whatever Nardal's charge actually is, it's not there's nothing he can really do to, you know, overcome the doctor's desire in any given moment. hmm So
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. Um anything else about the bolt?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. I think we covered it.
0: Well, then, on that note, we'll uh, be back next week with some more Doctor Who and uh, an episode of Buffy. Uh, So, yeah.
1: Sounds good. See you then.